does to say to us today. Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through dis and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And now we'll invite up Kurt. Right? Thank you, Matt. How's that? Oh boy, it's always something. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kurt. Great to have you here. Great to have you with us online. We had a bit of a snafu with our Facebook live feed and uh, Appreciate Marielle uh, helping with that, holding my phone. It seems to work better than the tablet for whatever reason. And uh, so, you know, it's just one of those days, one of those weeks, one of those times that we find ourselves where there's some uncertainty and fear and panic. I've been looking at Psalm 46, looking to the Lord for refuge, for strength in times and uncertain times. And he is indeed our rock to give us stability when we are uncertain in our lives, filled with fear and panic and fear of the unknown and circumstances and and viruses, which are very serious. And so just in concert with what Matt was saying, let us take this very seriously. Let us do our best to protect one another, protect our society at large. Uh, let us be praying for those in the church who are unwell with probably other infections, uh, those in our city with this virus, and also our, our globe that needs uh, the grace of God to help slow this uh, pandemic that's happening. And so we must pray. We are the church. We are standing in the gap to serve our world, even at our own risk. And uh, so let us do that in the name of Christ so that they see the love of Christ displayed through us. I think that's all I have for way of preamble, and I don't want to make this a very long sermon. We have only a sermon today and then a time of communion. What we're going to do, just as a heads up, is ask you at the time of communion to go to the table yourself so there's no passing around of the plates because we don't want to be passing around germs, okay? So we're going to, after the sermon, go to the table. If, if you want to take communion, there's no judgment if you'd prefer not to, 
Uh, grab the, a cracker and a cup of juice, come back to your seat, and then we'll take communion together at the end. So there's the heads up. And for those of you online, if you want to grab some juice, uh, if you're an adult, if you want to grab some wine if you have it, uh, or some bread, crackers, do it yourself at home, and you can take communion with us through the internet. It'll be kind of a weird kind of thing, but kind of cool at the same time. So there's the heads up about that. With that, why don't we pray and invite God to help me to speak, help us all, help the world in this very uncertain time, and would you pray with me now? Lord God, we are reminded that you are indeed our rock. You give us stability and strength in uncertain, unknown times. Lord, forgive me for getting caught up in fear and panic, not sleeping well because of all kinds of uncertainties. And I think many in this room and many online are also feeling the same kinds of things. And so, Lord, give us the strength that we need to trust in you. Holy Spirit, empower us to trust in you, trust in your strength, knowing that nothing can, no harm can be done to our souls if we are in Christ. And we ask that you would help us with that. Please bring healing to those in our church family who are unwell, probably with other things, those in our church family who have undergone recent surgeries and, and that sort of thing. But we ask that you would also be with our city, our area, Metro Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the world as we fight this pandemic and do our best to stop the spread of this. Lord, may this be a reminder to us here at Mercy Hill and to our world that, you know, life is fragile. You know, we are not going to live forever in these bodies, you know, and that there is accountability to you, that there's no better time to meet Jesus and give our lives to you, to repent of our sins, trust in the gospel, and be baptized than now, and not in a way of manipulating you, but rather coming to our senses, coming to the, the, the realization that there is a God, and we are not eternal, but we can be eternal in Christ and have heaven in our futures uh, forevermore. Lord, help me to speak your words today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, well, today's message, we, we are just trucking along in our series on the book of Ephesians. You might think, why did I not preach a sermon on fear and panic and trusting in the Lord? Well, there are elements of that in our passage today, but you know what? We're just going to truck along, and there's a lot of very, very helpful and practical things in this passage that we're looking at. Our ser series on Ephesians is called a Manifesto for the Church, and specifically, our passage that Matt read for us in Ephesians 4, uh, I believe it's the middle section of chapter 4, the title for today is Learning Christ. Learning Christ. Have you ever thought about that idea of learning Christ? Very interesting. You know, we do this every day. You know, if you're a student in school, if you're in work, I think all of us desire or should be desiring to learn something new every day to move forward in our understanding and in our knowledge. If you are a student, maybe you're learning new things in math, new grammatical nuances in English, new science, scientific data in your science class, or in your job as an employee or as a business person. You are likely undergoing constant new training uh, to basically become a better version of yourself, to become a better employee, a better worker, and to help your business and company make more money than you could before. We're all sort of learning new things. But let me take a little bit of a different angle here, uh, because the kind of learning we see in our passage, it's, it's less information download than it is more sort of the, the mentoring kind of learning, if you will. It's relational. It's built on a relationship with a certain person, okay? For example, I often come back to martial arts, and by the way, 
I have no experience with being trained in, in the martial arts like karate, taekwondo, jiu-jitsu. I think the, my source of information about the martial arts is the Karate Kid movies, so that's about the extent of it. So I'm, don't take my word on any of this stuff. But anyhow, martial arts, though, what I do know, in karate, in taekwondo, jiu-jitsu, what do you do? Primarily, you watch your instructor do their thing, and you try to do what he or she is doing. Because why? They are the expert. They know what they're doing. You, if you watch them, you learn, you understand, and you try to emulate it, you can see it. So it's not information download. It's example, you see. And so you get it wrong. You get the kicks wrong the first several hundred times. You get the blocks wrong. You, you get all of these things wrong, but over time, with practice makes perfect. And you watch your instructor. You learn from him. You learn from her. You do what they are doing. And there's that aspect of learning Christ. It's similar. It's not quite exactly the same, but it's similar. Once you respond to Jesus with repenting of your sins, with faith in the gospel, and with being baptized as Christ was baptized, you are now a part of the family of God. There's no doubt about that you're part of God's family. Just like when you start taking karate classes, there's no doubt that you're part of the karate community at that point. And then after that day of conversion, you're just new to Christianity. I was new to Christianity when I first became a Christian, but little by little, moment by moment, day after day, week after week, decade after decade, you're watching Jesus where? You're watching him in his word in the Bible, you, especially when it comes to the Gospels. You're, you're looking at Jesus there. What is he doing? What does he want me to do? We're also watching other Christians in our own family, in our own church family. What are they doing? How are they conducting themselves? What mistakes are they making that I shouldn't make? And we're watching, we're learning from them, we're watching them. We're speaking with Jesus more and more in prayer and increasing our, our daily trust in him the more we go along in our relationship with him as the years go by. And what happens is, as your relationship with Jesus, it fortifies, it strengthens. As your relationship with other Christians in your church family fortifies and strengthens and you're watching each other, then you learn Christ. You learn Christ more and more. As we gradually, we put off our old ways, our old self, and alternatively, we put on the new self that Christ put in us by his spirit, this new identity that we've received from him. And as the, the days go by, the years go by, we increasingly reflect the character and the holiness of Jesus in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. So this is what we're looking at today. Very helpful, very practical stuff. Just as a reminder, if you were here last Sunday, uh, I want to remind you of a little bit of what we talked about. The Apostle Paul is the writer of Ephesians, and he talks about the church. A manifesto for the church is what Ephesians is all about. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, what he does is really talk about the doctrine, the theology of the church, what the church is, what the church is for, uh, according to God. Then in the latter half of Ephesians, he gets to sort of the outworkings, the implications, the practicalities of what the church is. So he's got the doctrine over here. If that's who we are as God, the people of God, all nations built into this beautiful spiritual temple that glorifies God, well, if that's who we are, then this is what we should do in our marriages, in our parenting, in our church lives, in our workplaces. And so that is what we're getting into in the latter half of Ephesians. Um, what we're going to do now is take a little bit of a different angle. And in this passage, we are going to discover that there's a difference between the old Kurt and the new Kurt. 
the who you were before BC, before Christ, and who you are now, or who we are now, after death, if you will, or becoming a Christ follower. Would you agree that there's a difference between who you were before you met Christ and who you are now today? This is what we're looking at. And the first thing that I'm gonna I want to share with you in your notes. So if you're online or even if you're in the room, you can go to the U version. It used to be called the U version app. It might be called just the Bible.com app. There are sermon notes to be found on the live button there somewhere. You can find the sermon notes online right now if you want to. Or if you grabbed a bulletin, uh, you can write in the blanks as we go along here in person. But number the first point I want to share with you from this passage is this. We must not walk in the futile ways we once used to before we learned Christ. Before we learned Christ, we lived very differently. we got to put the old Kurt behind us. The example that comes to mind here is when you see an older person, let's say a middle-aged person like myself, or someone even older than middle-aged, when you see that older person trying to get all hip with the kids, you know, older person trying to get hip and down with all the kids. Imagine me trying to act cool with all of my children's friends, and they're teenagers now, okay? I want to get hip with the kids. Can you imagine that? Please don't. Well, I'm going to actually ask you to try to imagine that for sake of illustration. So here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to get hip with the kids. I'm using the TikTok app, you know? That's pretty cool. That's pretty fun. I'm using Snapchat all the time. That's really cool. I'm trying to dress like a teenager, okay, I don't know what the, the teenagers are wearing these days, but I'm trying to dress that way, and I'm trying to style my hair like all the cool kids at school, the little bit I have left, I'm trying to style it in a certain way, all right, I'm trying to use all the cool lingo, I don't even know what the lingo is, but, you know, you know I don't know even, I'm, uh, that's so rad, I don't know what the, the lingo is, point being, I want the kids to think I'm all hip and so cool. Now, there's nothing sadder, there's nothing worse than an older person like me trying to get all hip with the kids. Why is that? It's because I am not a kid. I am not a youth. I am not young anymore. Youth and being a youthful person is not who I am. I can stare at pictures of myself when I was younger and say, oh, those were the days. I wish I could look like that now. I could do that all day long. Will it change anything by staring at those old pictures? It will not. So no amount of plastic surgery can fix this. No amount of working out in the gym can fix this. Nothing can change that. You see where I'm going? So it is with the the true Christian, the true follower of Jesus. You can't go back to who you were. You just can't. No, You should not. Try. You must no longer walk in the futile ways that you once used to walk in B.C., before Christ. Paul talks very directly about this. And... You may be uncomfortable with the language that he uses here, but you got to hear it. This is the voice of God speaking through Paul. you got to hear it. And he says in verse 17, I encourage you, by the way, open up your Bible or Bible app, fake Bible, whatever it's called, Ephesians chapter 4. Make sure what I'm saying uh, is actually from the Bible and not just Kurt's thoughts. But verse 17 is where Paul says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, the Gentiles in that day and age, and by the way, people in these Ephesian churches came from Gentile, non-Jewish backgrounds. That's what it means to be a Gentile. So essentially he's saying, don't live as the culture tells you to live. You must no longer walk that way that you once did in the futility of their minds. And so what this means for you, Christian, for me, Christian, if 
if you or I are sinning in the same ways today that we once were before we met Christ, it is something that we've just got to stop doing. We've got to stop that. Why is that? Well, it's because that's not me. That's not you. You're not a BC person anymore. You're after death. You're, you're with Christ now. You are his. This is not who you are anymore. So here's the tendency, though. We like to beat ourselves up when we sin and when we fail, when we fall down. We beat ourselves up. We get into this basically death trap of self-condemnation, and it ends up, we end up sinning more and more. That's the problem with that. So don't do that. Don't beat yourself up. Yes, admit your sins, uh, but there's help. There's hope and there's rescue through Jesus. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, Christian, if you confess your sins, God is faithful to forgive your sins, meaning... Receive his ongoing grace and forgiveness that is yours because of your faith in Jesus. That is accessible to you through him. So keep receiving the grace. Keep confessing your sins. Receive that ongoing forgiveness for those sins when we fall. But Paul's point is, don't stay there. Don't stay in that place of sin. you got to change. i got to change with God's help. So don't settle. Remember, there's a, a phone company called OnePlus. Anybody know what OnePlus is? I didn't think so. It's a very unknown, it's actually a Chinese phone manufacturer, but I love their tagline. Okay, all that to say, their tagline is, never settle. Never settle. That's, all, that's a Christian life in a nutshell. Never settle, okay? you got to change. we got to change. Don't settle for your futile, former, self-centered, Kurt-centered, self-gratifying ways. And now the next thing that we see Paul do in this passage is flesh out a little more about what the old Kurt was like, what the old you was like before Jesus, B.C. And that is one little A in your notes as we move along here. We were darkened in our understanding. We were darkened in our understanding. As I've mentioned previously over the years, I am very cheap and tight with money. Some of you are also very much the same way. I think that's a good quality. Not everybody thinks that's a good quality. Maybe somebody's wife may think that's not a good quality. But anyhow, I am cheap. And as a result of being cheap and tight with money, uh, I buy my sunglasses. I basically buy the cheapest sunglasses I can find. Uh, and I buy them on eBay for about 5 or $6. But here's the thing. I really like these eBay sunglasses. You know why? It's because they're actually super dark. It's hard to find dark sunglasses anymore, you know? But if they, you get them on eBay, they are cheap and they are super dark and they are very effective in the summertime when it's sunny. I want sunglasses that actually darken the light and protect the eyes. But now imagining myself with my super dark eBay cheap sunglasses on, imagine me now walking in the dark at nighttime in the forest going on a hike by myself. Good idea or a bad idea wearing these sunglasses in the dark in the forest? It's a bad idea, of course, because not only will I run into trees and then I'm going to fall into the ravine and, you know, sprain my ankle, and then if I happen to touch a nice fuzzy furry animal, oh, that's such a nice fuzzy animal. It must be a rabbit or a bunny or a dog or something. No, it's a grizzly bear. You see what I mean? This is just a bad idea to be wearing. And the issue is I can't see where I'm going with these dark sunglasses on. And so it was spiritually for me. B.C., before Christ, before you met Jesus. It was like you were wearing concrete sunglasses. You can't see through, can't see anything. And incredibly, you know, 
I think about who I once was, and maybe you can relate to this, before you met Christ, incredibly, we thought we could see. We thought we could see. In fact, we may have thought ourselves much more enlightened, much more open-minded than all these Bible-believing Christians over here. I mean, they're just, they're just, they're just crazy. We're more enlightened. But the reality is, we were not enlightened. No. Verse 18, before we trusted Jesus, we were darkened in our understanding. Reality was skewed. We could not see the world for how it really was. We thought we knew how the world and universe really worked. I mean, we, we know, we know, but we didn't. In reality, we did not. Only the gospel, only the Lord Jesus shows us that we have no hope or future outside of trusting in the finished work of Christ. We were darkened in our understanding. That's not a good place to be. With Christ, there's help and there's hope. Let us move on in the negativity here a little bit. Little b in your notes. The next thing that Paul says about what we once were is this. In your notes, we were alienated from the life of God because of our ignorance. We were alienated from the life of God. What a phrase, alienated from the life of God. Nothing worse, nothing worse, nothing worse. This is exactly what Paul teaches us in the middle of verse 18, if you see that there. Now, for you to be alienated from something, what does that look like? You're alienated from something. What does that look like? Now, it has nothing to do with little green men from Mars or Star Wars or the much superior Star Trek. Rather, for you to be alienated from somebody, that means you're on the, you're on the outs with them. You are here, they are over there. Alienated, separate. For example, if I have a big fight with my wife and we decide to give each other the silent treatment, I'm over here, she's over here, we're not talking, we're not speaking to each other. Never happens. Just, just joking. Let's think about a father and a son. We, the father and the son have a big argument. Maybe this has happened to you with your dad or your parent. And the son or father, they say some very hurtful things to one another. As a result, personal insults are going back and forth. They then choose to not speak to each other, silent treatment. They decide not to gather together with family gatherings. They're not going to Christmas together. They're not doing the Easter or birthdays together anymore. As a result, they are alienated from doing life together. They're alienated from each other's lives, separate, and they're only hurting themselves. This is not good. But this is precisely the place that I was, that we all were before we trusted Jesus. We were alienated from the life of God. We were on the outs, separated with God, not participating at all in the things of God. That's who we once were. Now, why would we do that? Why would we alienate ourselves or be alienated from God? Here's why. Paul says, it was because of our inner and my inner ignorance. He talks about inner ignorance. What is that? What is ignorance in this verse? It is simply having a lack of knowledge of divine things. The ignorance here also uh, is simply, a, it's a kind of moral blindness, going back to those sunglasses and darkness. It's a kind of moral blindness, meaning we simply could not see the forest for the trees. We could not know what it was to live a life for God. Not until we heard the gospel, God opened our hearts to hear the gospel. All right? Opened the, the eyes of our heart to finally see. Then we could see. And this is why, you know, I tend not to to blame those who are not yet Christians, especially those that I love and care for in my life. You know, I don't blame not yet Christians, you know. It's because they're, 
this is going to be harsh, and this is now public on the internet. If you're not yet Christian, you are ignorant to the things of God. And that's not a personal insult. It's just the way it is. That's who I was. And very often, it is only through long-term prayer and only by patiently sharing the gospel with the not-yet-Christians in our lives, ever so patiently, will they finally, will they finally see that they need Jesus. That's what it takes. So I don't blame them. Anyhow, let's move on. Paul teaches us yet another aspect about our spiritual state we were once in before we met Jesus. It's little C in your notes. If you're still with me, with us on Facebook Live or still awake here in this gymnasium, our hearts were hard and calloused. Our hearts were hard and calloused is the next point. I remember when I was 17, just a few years ago, I decided I got caught up in all sort of this this reflowering of rock and roll in the early 90s and the grunge movement and the Seattle bands. And it was like the 60s and the 70s came back again. It was just a, a great time to be alive. And I was full on into rock and roll scene. And I decided I got to learn how to play guitar. If I don't learn how to play guitar, I, I'm going to be on the outs. I'm going to be alienated, alienated from the life of rock and roll. So all we had, though, in our house at that time was this super old uh, acoustic guitar that was Less than ideal, but I was determined, so I picked up the uh, the acoustic guitar, and I started to basically bang out as many c chords as I could learn. The first day, I learned how to play G and A and D and E, E minor, and the hard one was F. Anybody know F is hard to play? Okay, yeah, there's a few of you that know F. Very painful. Anyhow, but I learned these chords, and, I, and I, it was just very, it was, it's very exciting. But you see, the problem was the next day, my fingertips were like just swollen and sensitive and just in such great pain to, this, to the extent where I could not practice guitar for several days afterwards. But you know, I was determined to not be alienated from the life of rock and roll. And so I got back to that old guitar and banging out chords and with practice and with time, what happened to my fingertips? They became calloused, calloused. They became toughened up to the point where there was so much callous built up on my fingertips that I could not feel any pain at all. In fact, I can't feel anything almost to this day anymore. It's like there's, you can't feel nothing. So that's maybe a downside of learning guitar. Here's my point. My point is simply, this is what happened to our spiritual hearts our spiritual headquarters before we trusted in Jesus. Our hearts, my heart became calloused like my fingertips were. They became, my heart became thick and it became hard to the extent where the gospel, the, the message of Jesus was sort of bouncing right off my heart, not penetrating at all because it was, it was hard, it was calloused. And you see, there is no, I was, before we met Jesus, there was no pain of, the conviction of sin. Our hearts were not soft enough for us to feel the pain of the knowledge of knowing that your sins killed Jesus. My sins put Christ on the cross. He was crucified to pay for my, my sins. Nope, we couldn't see it. We couldn't see it, B.C., maybe for years, all because our hearts were hard, our hearts were calloused. And again, this is why, you know, We've got to be patient with the, the not yet Christians in our lives. It may take decades of prayer, patient prayer, 
us praying for them, for the people that you care about in your life to finally have hearts that are softened by the Holy Spirit to then receive Jesus. It's a miracle. It's a supernatural thing when someone's heart becomes soft to receive the gospel for their spirit, the, the, the eyes of their spiritual heart to be opened to then see Jesus and be convicted of their sins. That's how it works. Last characteristic, little d in your notes about who we once were B.C. before Christ. And this is what it says in your notes. I think I'm actually preaching longer than I normally do. I don't know why. It's weird. But anyhow, D is simply we gave ourselves over to sensuality and impurity. We gave ourselves over to sensuality and impurity. Paul says in verse 19b that we not only gave ourselves over to sensuality, but we were, he uses the phrase, we were actually greedy. Greedy, not necessarily for cashola. He says we were greedy to, to practice every kind of impurity. Isn't that quite a turn of phrase? Greedy to, to get lustful and do lustful things. We couldn't wait to self-indulge. We couldn't wait to dive into sensuality and, and sexual sin. I mean, does this not describe our cultural moment at this time? I mean, there's a book written by Sam Elberry. Apparently, it's a good book. I haven't read it. And he's a, he's a Christian guy. Don't worry. But his title is, Why Does God Care Who I Sleep With? And that's very much what our culture says. Like, why, does, why do you guys care about who I sleep with? Okay? Why do you care about what I do with my body? Why would I, why would I not do what my desires want me to do? Why are you Christians so restrictive and... You know, you say Bible-believing Christians, like at Mercy Hill Church, you guys believe that sex is reserved for marriage between one man and one woman? How 1950s of you, how traditional, how, how ridiculous, they say. No, I'm going to do whatever, whatever my body wants, whatever I want to do, because when I do what I want to do, what my desires want to do, it's healthy, it's right, it's good. The world says, this is what culture says generally, do they not? Why do you guys care who I sleep with? But the thing is, the idea of sex being reserved for marriage between one man and one woman, uh, it's, not, it's not my idea. It's not the church's idea. It's not church history's idea. Whose idea is this? It is God's idea given to us in Scripture. All right? And it's, it was he, it is God who put a restriction in place for his followers for our own good, to protect us from ourselves, for our children's good, and for the glory of God. And, and until you see the goodness of God's restrictions, uh, you will never submit to Christianity. You will never submit to the gospel. Until you see that, how, that God designed this restriction for us to flourish in and find joy in, until you see that, you won't embrace the gospel. All right? You'll think this is healthy, whereas, no, in God's eyes, and in truth, this is healthy. This is, this, this is the, the wise place for flourishing. And this is where joy can be found, doing it the way that God designed for us to do it, according to Scripture. So anyhow, that's the issue. Now, if you're over here and you're struggling to embrace what God says about sexuality in the Bible, and you're saying, no, it's, it's actually better for me to embrace what I want, what my body wants, that's not a good place to be. It will not end well for you. You need to hear that warning. Uh, it is a real thing. It will not end well for you. It is not good for your spiritual health to pursue your own desires. God loves you more, uh, so much that he sent his own son to die for those desires that you're indulging in. Christ is here to save you uh, from yourself. 
let's move on. Let's move on. We looked at number one. We looked at four subpoints. Now we're moving on to major point number two in your notes. And this is what it is as we move along in our passage. It is simply, we must live in a constant state of, quote, learning Christ and increasingly adopt his ways. We must live in a constant state of learning Christ and increasingly adopt his ways. We talked earlier about how one of the best ways for for anyone to to learn something new, for anyone to grow and develop, is not just to, it's not information download, like you go to school, you turn your brain off, and you just memorize stuff. No, that's not it. Information download is not very effective at all. Rather, the best form of learning is learning in person. Like in martial arts, you watch your instructor do what they are doing. You simply, you watch and you learn. You do what they are doing as well to become just like them. And so it is with Jesus. We are interns of Jesus. We are learners of Jesus. We are disciples of Jesus. And I believe our Christian life should be summarized as being all about you learning Christ. Kurt learning Christ. Us all learning Christ more and more and more and more and more each and every day. Paul makes this point. If you see, look at verse 20, if you have it in front of you. He says that participating in the things we used to do, B.C., before Christ, that's not the way that we, and then he uses the, the phrase, that's not the way we learn Christ. No, we put our old ways, sinful ways behind us, and instead we increasingly adopt over time the ways of Jesus in our lives. The truth can only be found in Jesus. He rightly defines reality for us. Truth can be found in Jesus alone. And he helps us then to see what life is for, why we are on this planet, what our purpose is. It can be found in Christ and in the gospel alone. The best way to live life is the, is the way of Jesus. And so we must learn Christ. We must learn Christ. Now, how do we learn Christ? How do we do this? I believe that Paul is talking about the doctrine. He's actually talking about two doctrines, but I won't get into the second one in great depth. But he's talking about two doctrines. The first doctrine that I believe he is speaking about, at least indirectly, is the doctrine of mortification. What in the world does mortification mean? It simply means that it's speaking about the process, the process of putting sin to death in your life. It's a process of putting sin to death in your life. Now, the alternative doctrine to that is vivification, but I won't get into that one. Uh, but anyhow, so how do we put sin? How do I put sin to death in my life? How do, do you as a Christian put sin to death in your life in order to learn Christ? To start the process of mortification, we do little a in your notes. Simply initially and then daily, we put off our old corrupt selves with its deceitful desires. We put off, cast it off, our old corrupt selves with its deceitful desires. So I talked about initially and daily. Initially and daily. The initial part is when. That is simply the day of our conversion. When we first became a Christian, we, we repented of our sins. We swore allegiance to King Jesus. We, we chose to follow Jesus with our lives and trust in him. Then the daily part, that's the initial. Now the daily part, the day in, day out part, that's the hard work. We got to read scripture for ourselves. We got to let the Bible, we got to read the Bible and then let the Bible read us. In other words, when you read the Bible, when I read the Bible, it shows Kurt his sins, his sinful tendencies, his sinful desires, the flesh desires and, and addictions that I am giving myself to. Also, 
our church family, our Christian friends, they are, you guys are here, we are here together and online to speak truth to each other in love. All right? Show one another our sinful spiritual blind spots. That's why we're here. That's a part of it. And the daily part is this. We might pray something like this, and I hope you, you might pray this on a regular basis. Jesus, I've sinned in this area. I confess my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I receive your grace and forgiveness to cover this sin because you died for the sin. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. And then you say, all right, by the power of your indwelling Holy Spirit who lives in any and every Christian, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, by what you've accomplished on the cross, put this sin to death. Put this sinful desire to death. Put this flesh desire to death in me. Jesus, Holy Spirit, put this lust to death in me. Put this pride to death in me. Put this selfishness to death in me. Put this greed to death in me. Crucify it. Kill it in me. And then, after you mortify that sin, you kill that sin with the Spirit's help, we see from Paul here, um, we don't just put sin to death. You've got to replace that sin with something else. You've got to replace it with something else, a new desire. And the Holy Spirit gives that to us as well. And that is little b in your notes. I think this might be our final point for today. 2B is simply initially and daily put on. So remember, we put off the old self, the old ways, the sin. Now we're putting on the new self created in Christ's likeness and holiness. We replace the sin with spiritual good fruit that comes from God. Paul talks about this. You can look at verses 23 and 24. And it's so beautiful. He clarifies that your goal, actually our goal as a church family, is to what? It's to to look and act and sound like God, like Christ, to emulate Christ, to reflect his right living in our lives, his right ways in our lives, his right thoughts in our lives, his right motives in our lives, more and more. And it's a process. And so over time, we increasingly, as a church family and individually, we reflect his, his holiness in our lives more and more. We grow. So that when people see you in your workplace, when people see us on our streets, in our neighborhood, and we have conversation with our neighbors, when people see us online through Facebook, you know, they're going to see more and more Jesus and his ways, his character. And when they see Jesus in us, wherever we are, he gets the credit, he gets the glory. Because we're not doing the change here. It's the Holy Spirit working in us through our faith and trust. And God is the one who changes our lives. So here's what this sounds like or might sound like in your prayers. You know, you can incorporate a version of this, okay? So after you've, you've mortified sin in your life, you've put off your old selves, you've confessed your sins, you've received God's ongoing grace and forgiveness through Christ, all right? Uh, we put all that stuff to death. We must then pray something like, Lord, by your indwelling Holy Spirit, increasingly help me to put on the new self, the new Kurt. Holy Spirit, replace my sinful anger with your patience. Holy Spirit, replace my lust with your purity. Holy Spirit, replace my overeating and my laziness with your self-control. Replace my overspending and shopping addiction with your contentment. You know, the, one of my favorite philosophers is the French philosopher Blaise Pascal. Anyone know who Blaise Pascal is? 
That's what I thought. Nobody. Uh, he's, I think he's from the 1600s. And his book, Pensees, is just amazing if you can put up with it. You know, it's sort of older. I think it was originally written in French and then translated to the older English. But great book. And he had a very profound uh, conversion experience. But anyhow, he said, and he believed very firmly and very strongly, that if everyone would just spend about 15 minutes a day in self-reflection, the world would be a better place. Just everyone spend about 15 minutes self-reflecting. Think about yourself. The world would be so different. And I think he's on to something. Some of you are already doing this kind of thing, though. You know, something we want to see disciples of Jesus at Mercy Hill do is get into the habit of daily time with Jesus, reading scripture and then praying. It doesn't have to be for three hours every day, although that's fantastic if it is. But imagine taking 15 minutes uh, where you are, us, here we are, Mercy Hill Church, we are taking 15 minutes of our day individually to self-reflect. And in that, those moments of self-reflection, we are mortifying, putting to death sinful desires. And then we're asking the Holy Spirit to replace those sinful desires with his spiritual fruit in our lives. Can you imagine the kind of church we would be? How we would much more effectively reflect the holiness of Christ in our workplaces, in our streets, in our families, in our lives? Can you imagine the kind of positive change and transformation that would happen in, in our marriages and in our parenting, in our, in our work and in our jobs? How we work? Yes, it, it's good. I'm telling you, when it comes to Christianity, this stuff works. Like there is substantive rubber-hits-the-road change when you apply the gospel to your life. It's not just a one-off, get saved, get your ticket to heaven. No, the gospel changes you day in and day out. This stuff works. And so we must turn to Jesus every day, confess our sins, put off the old ways, put on the new ways that are found by his spirit as he provides those new ways and that new fruit in our lives. Well, the sermon is almost over. Now we are going to pray and transition after a time of prayer to a time of the Lord's Supper. If you have not yet uh, got your communion stuff at home, you, we invite you to do that at this time so you can take communion with us. But uh, why don't we pray, and then we'll make that transition uh, very shortly. Lord God, I thank you for this great hope that you've given us and this great help you've given us of setting aside our old ways and putting on the new ways that are found in Christ and that your Holy Spirit empowers us toward. Lord, I love that Christianity actually works and actually brings about substantive, real, deep-level change in our lives in a way that nothing else does. And I thank you that you care about us enough to the point where that you provide the means and the power for us to change and to live differently. Lord, we don't want to glorify ourselves. We don't want to change to put showcase ourselves and say, look what I'm doing, look how much better I am. But we want to change for your namesake, for your glory, so that people see you in us and that more and more people in our city, in our network of relationships, will see the difference Christ makes and want you in their lives as well. Would you empower us as a family on mission toward that end? Lord, as we come to the time of communion, we remember the gospel. We would have nothing without your finished work on the cross, and we are grateful for it. Lord, I also at this time want to pray for those who are sick and unwell, locally and globally. Would you bring healing to their lives? Would you bring an end to this pandemic as quickly as possible? Lord, I pray that if people are sort of just 
unsure of where they're at spiritually, that they would take the next step to reach out to me or the church leaders for prayer and for guidance on, you know, if they're not yet Christians especially, and just to, to get that sorted out and to, to use this as an opportunity, this cultural moment as an opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. Use us towards that end. Through Christ we pray. Amen.